Hello, I'm Scott Soshnick. And I'm Evan Novi Williams, and this is the Merry Christmas ACC Sports Business Podcast, The Sportacast. Ah, uh, Novi Novi, you know me. I would have come up with something singing. Can't can you quickly? Can you come up to pick a jingle? Uh, you know, a Christmas jingle, jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle to ACC, FSU, FSU, <laughs> get me out of here. There's no dough. I gotta go. Uh, JP Morgan, help me here. How about that? How about that? Clapping. See? Thank clapping. you. Ho, ho, Thank ho. you. Thank you. Uh-huh. I gotta go, go, go. Ho, ho, ho. That's how you do it on the day after Christmas. See, now you know why I give you low marks on the open. This is what I expect. Scott, if you want to do the open, um, that would be your Christmas gift to no, me. No, I don't. I, 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 like, I like you doing the <laughs> I like you doing the open. Uh, but go ahead. The, but you know what? Just a phrase that bugs me now every time I see it. Mm. Grant of rights. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. I tried to avoid it's, it in my copy. It's, it's almost it's like the vernacular of Wall Street, which is designed to obfuscate. Just tell people what we're talking about here. Like the the writing was on the wall. Like this is all of this. Oh, the emergency meeting. And as soon as we broke the story a while ago that FSU was working with J.P. Morgan to find money that, in essence, would allow them to leave the conference immediately, pay the exit fee. Did, any, did anybody not know where we were going on this story? But go ahead and tell me. You were all over the uh, Board of Trustees call today. Tell so, me what so you Merry Christmas to all of uh, and Happy Holidays to all of our listeners. Um, we're recording this before the before the holidays, so just want to get that out of the way. Uh, yeah, some some some. Oh yeah, that ear- early early Christmas gift for the ACC. Uh, Florida State's Board of Directors on Friday in an emergency session uh, voted to approve a lawsuit against the ACC, claiming that its exit requirements uh, are to or against the law essentially antitrust violations and 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 therefore unenforceable um i, I think that the, the interesting undertone here florida state estimates that it would cost them 570 million dollars ha- more than half a billion dollars to get out of the acc right now that is both the exit fee and the and the revenue penalty um and uh that's a lot of money scott <laughs> that is that is that is essentially three times the 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 school's annual athletic budget um it is way more expensive than than any other college would have or has paid to get out of any of its conference conferences in, in, in the realignment here. Uh, and I don't think that it's a coincidence that this happened two weeks after Florida State went undefeated in ACC play and lost out on a college football playoff spot by a, a one-loss Alabama team. Um, it's no secret that concentration of money and power is happening in the SEC and the Big Ten. Um, that college football playoff spurn, I think, underscored that even more. Uh, and for Florida State, uh, they are now, yeah, the, the time is now. The iron is hot. They realize that they are falling behind financially uh, for every minute they stay in the ACC. And you are crazy, anyone, not you, Scott, but anyone out there is crazy if they don't think that either by paying an exorbitant amount of money or by filing a lawsuit that is successful, that Florida State does not find its way out of the ACC at some point in the next 12 months. All right, Adobe Williams, let me ask you this, though. In the pantheon of proactive and reactive Proactive means I see something coming. I, I'm, you know, I've, I've, I've tried to extrapolate the outcomes. I've, I've looked at the permutations. I just don't get the sense anybody's doing that. This, the, everything for a long time in college athletics has seemed to be based on reactivity. And, and I'll look at even you know, my alma mater. I mean, and it's been some time since Syracuse went to the ACC, leaving the Big East. You know, and, and now it's about 
does has that worked out well for them? What's happening in the ACC now? It, it seems like here we go. We go a different set of musical chairs. The power concentration is elsewhere. So in my estimation, this is how I see it playing out. Let's say, let's just say they go to the SEC. FSU goes to the SEC. Okay, East West. I don't care. I don't even know who plays who. I see them losing two or three games during the regular season. Not even be, what do we got? Twelve teams coming now, right? Like not even being in the top twelve. Um, that's why they expanded the playoffs. Clearly, there was a need for, one, more programming, more money. I got it. But sorry, you're, you're in a year where there's top four. I know you were undefeated. I, I get it, but I don't think anybody wanted to see FSU in, that, in any of those games. You know, People probably thought with the third-string quarterback going against Alabama, you're going to lose, or going against Michigan, you're going to lose big time. Um, you knew the system. And everything was reactionary. And I, and I love the fact, when I bring the Soshnik value ad, remember I tell you the story years ago about Bobby Bowden? One day yeah. I, I called up C- Coach Bowden, and he, I, get, I mean, just lucky. It really had just happened where he gave me a, you know, a, a personal dog gummit, and he said, you know, the president of the school just left his office. And he's like, that never happened before. Like the president had never been in his office. And, and yeah, and he didn't stop by to say hi. He didn't stop by to talk about uh, the, uh, the passing game. You know, I have no idea at this time who was the quarterback. Charlie Ward, uh, Danny Warfel. No, he was Florida. Charlie Ward or whoever. I have no idea who the quarterback was. But they had, they had logged, you know, whatever. And the president came just to make a note to Bobby Bowden that, hey, I, I saw some empty seats. And that's when Bowden said to me, I knew this thing was over. The president came into my office just to talk about there were empty seats. And that's why Stanford, when they announced their renovation of the stadium, you know, everybody would think, oh, renovation means you're putting in more seats. You're going from 100, you know, 80 to 100, 100 to 110. No, no, no. Stanford took seats out because when you add stadium, there's a pressure to fill those seats, right? Um, so Bowden knew that day the world had changed. And I'm just not sure we're getting a lot of proactivity here. This will be this knee jerk. And then we're going to have, and I'm just making up firm names here. This is not uh, literal. But then we're going to have Bain Capital, which once tried to buy the NHL, and Silver Lake, and, you know, the, and, and, and pick, pick your others. They're all going to come in and, and do what Chip Kelly said. Why don't we just pull football out of it, take the top 60, whatever. They'll play in their own little pro- for-profit thing. Everybody else will play in their conferences. So they're not going, you know, the water polo team should not be flying to the East Coast for a match. So... This is like it seems like band aid after band aid after band aid. Nobody knows where this is going. Nobody's really thinking it through. They're just chasing the shiny nickel right now. Uh, yeah, I think you hit it, the nail on the head. That that Biden that that, that Bobby Bowden story, um, yeah, underscores that that as much as Florida State wants to say this is about being able to compete and putting all of their teams in the best, this is about money. It's just about money, and and the ACC has been a little bit behind the Big Ten and the SEC for for a little while now. But starting next year, mm-hmm. it is going to be a lot behind, and 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 Florida State estimates thirty to forty million dollars a year is going to be the the media difference between what they get from the ACC and what members of the Big Ten and the SEC get. And at that point, Scott, forget about competing with Alabama and Georgia. Can Florida State compete with Vanderbilt? Eventually, if there is a $40 million revenue gap between those two schools, one of the things that that came up on this call that I thought was interesting, uh, according to one of the Florida State trustees, if you take media money off the table and look at all the other ways that, that, that athletic departments fund themselves, Florida State has the seventh highest budget in the country. 
So in in fundraising, in ticket sales, all the other all the other levers that you make money, Florida State is doing very well. It's one of the biggest athletic departments in the country. Mm-hmm. But again, if the media portion is thirty to forty million dollars behind everybody else, that drops from seventh to possibly to to 27th or 37th or maybe even even further so um yeah there there, there is a big gap here that they need to solve and again this is this is reactive you're right and it's also it's all about the money and and if you had asked florida state two years ago they probably would have said yeah we're in a pretty good spot we're in we're in a power five conference but i don't see okay but this this i don't understand help me here okay we're in a power five conference give it to me a a casual onlooker to the college football ecosystem on Saturdays, all right? Uh, And forget about the rest of the other days. You know, it's the big Saturday game. Let's say, all right, you have two channels uh, in sports. You can only watch two channels. Let's just say it's channel one and channel two. Channel one will show the SEC game of the week. No, wait, three channels. Channel two will show the Big Ten game of the week. Channel three will show the ACC game of the week. How many weeks am I tuning into Channel 3 to see what I assume most in a poll would say would be Clemson against Florida State? How many times am I tuning into Channel 3 when I can go watch Ohio State, Michigan, when I can watch Wisconsin, when I can watch Alabama, Auburn, Georgia? How many times am I going to Channel 3? How did they think they were in a good position in a world where media was the dominant revenue stream? I, I don't disagree with you at all, Scott. And and, and the, the bigger, I mean, one of the bigger things here, this seems, the media part even seems entirely predictable. The ACC locked its rights up for yes. a while. Um, I, I don't yep. think the, two years ago, Florida State had an idea that, that, that in 2020, by the end of 2023, that, 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 that Oklahoma and Texas would be in the SEC and that Oregon and, and, and Washington would be in the Big Ten. I think that moved faster than they thought. But the, the funding gap media-wise has always been there. It just, it just got so much quicker. And, and, and we talk about the, the, the collapse of the, of the, of the Pac-12, right? The, the, there are some things, I think, that, that could not have been seen. But the idea that uh, the ACC would eventually be falling behind in dramatic ways financially seems like the writing was on the wall uh, for Florida State before that. And there is some there is some truth to what Florida State is saying in that the ACC, every conference tried to, alongside its media rights, put together some kind of legal document that was going to keep people together. And some of those efforts obviously have failed because there are a lot of big time schools that are that are changing conferences. I just I just mentioned four of them, um, but nobody put together some of those. Some of those documents were laughable. It, remember, there was it, no commitment between it, some of exactly, those. You know, but we're just exactly. going to work together. The pack. What was that? Was that Pac twelve and ACC? Yeah, there was, was the Pac twelve, ACC, and Big Big Ten. I believe, right? That the gentlemen's yeah, agreement I, not to poach each other. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. That lasted Abs- about yeah, a right. week. Okay, yeah, right, okay. Um, but nobody put together. Nobody that, put together an, an ironclad legal structure quite like the ACC. And look, we'll find out if Florida law decides that 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 law is on that rules are unenforceable or if they're violations of, of antitrust law. But um, it is different. Just want to underscore this point. It's different for Florida State to leave the ACC than it was for Texas to leave the the Big 12 or it was for Washington and Oregon to leave the the Big 10. We're just talking about an order of magnitude order of magnitude yeah. different money. And and going back to what you said Scott about about JP Morgan and and potentially raising money from 6th Street um 
$500 million, $570 million just to get out of the conference is a lot of money. And, and, and if you're going to fund that through private equity, um, the, the terms on the back end of that are probably going to be very, yeah, what's very the onerous on that investment over five to for, seven for years. The university. Um, so, so, so yeah, I think there, there's obviously a lot at play here. I agree that the private equity talks are, are certainly in the background here, but this legal attempt is a way for, instead of paying $570 million to pay zero, dollars or or whatever it is to, to the, the legal cost of, of making this lawsuit. So if they are successful in this suit, Florida State is going to save hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. Well, you know who has the money? You know, maybe the president of Florida State or the Board of Trustees should be calling Mark Walter and the Dodgers mm-hmm. <laughs> and say, hey, I understand you've got some capital bankrolled by like this insurance company thing. How in the world are you guys paying all these, you know, this triple play of Otani Yamamoto? Um, so wh- what do you think of the Dodgers here? Now, I really thought, I got to tell you, and this is just, I, I, I had come with no inside knowledge on this. So I'm not inside baseball. Um, just reading tea leaves, I was like, oh, well, Yamamoto's got to go to the Yankees, right? Otani goes to the Dodgers, Yankees uh, opening the wallets again, like the old Steinbrenner days. Um, so he'll go pitch for the Yankees. They, but no, like Do- Dodgers are getting it all. So uh, over a billion, that one, what, 1.2 billion in commitments now from the Dodgers. And Yamamoto is not uh, deferred like o- Otani. So I believe at the end of the day, this will be funny. I believe Yamamoto will be making 300 plus. You have Otani making over a billion. Or whatever, whatever, how much that was, 750, whatever, 750, okay. And at the end of the day, it looks like Yamamoto will be paying more in taxes than Otani would be because of the structure of the deal. I I have two two thoughts here, Scott. Um, The the first one being Major League Baseball, at least at the tippy-tippy top, starting to look like European soccer, right? If I'm... The, the Tampa Bay Rays, Yankees, Dodgers, Red Tampa Sox. Bay Rays look a lot like <laughs> Blackpool, right? Or or Nottingham Forest. The the amount of money being spent at the top versus what's being spent at the bottom. And I know the Rays have defied this for a while, but I just don't. I, I just don't see how anyone in the bottom part of Major League Baseball is going to be able to compete if teams like the Dodgers and maybe the Yankees and a few others are this willing to spend this much money and and the luxury tax and all that. Um, th- th- this is an escalation of of an imbalance of spending that we have seen in Major League Baseball for a long time. And man, if I am the Pirates, if I am the Marlins, there's a whole bunch of teams now I think already understood that they were super unlikely to win a win a World Series that that now are are the yeah. the, the the impetus to spend money to even try feels lower and lower. That feels dangerous for baseball. The second thing I'll say Scott is is not just signing probably the two most interesting biggest free agents in baseball, but signing both of them as these are Japanese stars. Uh, the the Dodgers business yeah. in Asia, particularly opportunities that they may have in Japan are going to be amazing here. The, 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 they instantly became, yeah, you, this is a good time to be the CMO. Great of the time to be a CMO of the Dodgers. Otani alone makes this team probably the most popular team in, in Japan, having both uh, Shohei Otani and Yoshinobu Yamamoto. It makes this team essentially appointment watching, every game really right like the, the there there is going to be a ton of opportunity in asia and japan specifically for the dodgers by virtue of these decisions and and i and i would make an argument that because you have otani yamamoto is maybe worth more to the dodgers than anybody else because of all the all the synergy there and the things that you can do with them together I mean, it reminds me kind of of, of the, the the mets back in 20 
2008, whenever it was when they when they added Carlos Beltran and and Pedro Martinez, probably the two most famous Dominican or two of the most famous Dominican players in baseball, uh, and really trying to become the the baseball team of the Dominican Republic. Um, that that's what this feels like, but on a on a way bigger scale. So when does Stan Caston, our friend Stan, pick up the phone, call Rob Manfred, and say, you know, we're going to look for some special dispensation here. We know that the numbers for Yankees and Red Sox on Sunday night baseball on ESPN go through the roof. You know, lots of Sunday night baseball. It's wonderful. When does he say, we want to play at 7.30 a.m. at Dodger Stadium so that fans in Asia can watch in prime time? I go back to uh, the Beijing Olympics where, thank you very much, Michael Phelps, because of you, I had to get up silly early every single day to start the games and make my way over to the, what was it called, the Cube, because... Everyone wanted Phelps swimming in prime time in the United States, which means I had to be at the pool at 7 a.m. because he was swimming at 8 a.m. to to make the prime time telecast live. Well, that's sort of what I'm going to need here with Otani Yamamoto. I need some prime time Asia games, right? I don't want to be showing this stuff at 7 in the morning. And I would be shocked if baseball is not thinking about a a, a series in Japan in two years that has the Dodgers and and maybe Otani and Yamamoto both pitching to to start that. Yes, I think there's there's, you're going to see in some form so so much of this. It just makes it, it, it makes so much sense. Uh, it does make so much sense. It's, it, you just uh, you, you, every team though you can't. And I wonder now when if you're a prospective buyer, and we have the funny feeling there will be some teams on the market coming. You know, baseball teams on the market, whether it's the Orioles, Nationals, what, yeah, whatever. Grace. Like, are you buying the stuff with the eye of, the eye of I got to win, or are you buying of oh, it's a revenue sharing sport? You know, we had Randy Levine really bemoaning the Rays, where they all they do is complain they don't draw. Like he didn't mind paying. Randy and the Yankees don't seem to mind paying revenue sharing. As long as those teams, and this is his, his words, not mine, you know, do their part to really generate interest and revenue. It's not, it's not enough to have you know, nobody in the ballpark every day. So the Yankees don't want to be paying and see the Rays draw nobody and then come up with a plan to put, you know, stadium in the same place where nobody goes to play baseball. So, you know, I, what, what are you doing? What's your approach then if you're buying one of these other teams? Well, okay, I, I can do okay. Or I think you know, I'm smarter than everybody else. We'll make a go of it. It's interesting to see what the prospective owner's approach is when you've got the Dodgers spending the way they do. I, I think the big question I have on that, Scott, is is how much money do I have? If I'm if I'm Steve Cohen, I'm buying the Mets knowing that I am I want to compete with the Dodgers and the Yankees and I will spend the billions of do- commit the billions of dollars to make that yeah. happen. If you've got a successful RSN and money in your pocket. That, yes. Yeah, that that that's a different case. If I'm a, a four X billionaire and I buy the the pirates if I buy the Rays, yeah, I think I think you're right. I think that the whole calculus has to be different. And and, and this is the, the 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 there's a labor accord right now between the players and and Major League Baseball. Um, it was pretty rough when they got it, so there's a little bit of labor peace. But this is going to continue to be a huge issue because the the imbalance, the fact that fewer and fewer teams seem to be spending to win, has been a big gripe of of the Major League Baseball players for a while now. And again, I just don't see a world in which this Dodgers spending and whatever the Yankees, the Mets, and the Red Sox do in retaliation, I don't see a world where this helps that 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 imbalance in any capacity. Um, I think this I think this is bad news if you're right. if, if you if you're thinking about the valuations for baseball teams in the in the mid to bottom tier, I just can't see a world where this is this is good news for 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 the economics there, particularly because again, as you said, the RSN, the local money 
revenue model is is disintegrating for those teams and not disintegrating, at least not yet, at the same capacity for for the Dodgers, Yankees, Mets, and Red Sox. Dodgers had the guarantee. I mean, I loved covering the sale of the team via the auction. I mean, the Dodgers negotiated, Mark Walter uh, and Guggenheim, they negotiated that deal ahead of time. They knew what the revenue was going to be, which is why they felt comfortable paying $2 billion plus for the team. Uh, By the way, also a little nugget. It's interesting to note that I'm, I'm told that that deal is backed by Charter Corporate. Which means they really have no fear of not being paid, even in a bankruptcy. They they don't they should not have too much fear of not getting their money. That's why they can go out and do this. Yeah, I was going to say explain because I think a lot of people still don't understand how the Dodgers purchase back in 2012 or whatever it was the insurance vehicle of Guggenheim, all that. How that was different than a, a standard baseball or even sports transaction that, that you've covered. Well, you know you're dealing with. Uh, owners either using their own capital liquidity and then going and borrowing money via sort of your your usual uh, methods. Uh, this was a little different that they had pools of capital. They just happened to be insurance money, you know, people buying to insurance. So I remember getting phone calls from opposing bidders at the time, more than one, trying to get people, reporters, to write stories saying, this is, this is a risky investment. Why and how are insurance... Uh, funds being used to fund, you know, fund this purchase, and I was always like, "Well, like, is it really a risky investment?" Let's historically, you know, we can look at S and P, we can look at the, you know, paging Kurt Badenhausen. Let's look at the historical trend of the valuation growth of the assets we're talking about, which is these extremely rare properties in professional sports teams. Is it really all that risky? You know, but everybody was trying to drum up a scare tactic so that they wouldn't be able to use that capital. Obviously, they were. And by the way, let's not forget this was all started when Bud Selig rejected a TV deal for the Dodgers. That's what put the team into bankruptcy. You know, he, he was he was trying. I don't know if he thought it would end up the way it did with uh, Frank McCourt getting two billion dollars, but he rejected a TV deal that Frank had proposed, uh, and that threw the team into bankruptcy. And then this whole thing started. So yeah, creative ways of of getting uh, access to capital are are certainly uh, a, not only a thing of the past, but a thing of the future. People are, you look at Josh Harris when he had to raise money for his bid on the commanders. Like people are going to need pools of capital and whether it's, uh, as we've seen, uh, private equity or sovereign wealth, uh, th- there's some different ways that to do That deal in 2012, uh, Guggenheim bought the Dodgers for, for $2.15 billion. Um, The team now, according to Kurt and Sportico, worth $5.2 billion, second most valuable in, in baseball to the New York Yankees. So um, the purchase price more, keep it, more keep than in doubled in, in, in the past decade. Yeah. And keep in mind, you know, we see what Steve Cohen is doing, trying to have a real estate play out there with a casino attached. And, you know, Frank McCourt, everybody forgets, Frank McCourt kept 50% of the real estate, mm. of the parking lots around Dodger Stadium. Who knows what that will turn into? But what do you think the value of the real estate, a.k.a. parking lots, next to Dodger Stadium is? You think that's a small <laughs> number? Or you think that that's is a, a good thing number? to have 50% of, Scott. What do you think Scott? that is? It is a good thing to have 50% of, and Frank McCord still has 50%. Can't wait to see when they ultimately decide what they're doing with that development. Cannot wait to see what it becomes. Well, let's shift gears here uh, from a team that that is probably going to be very good in the Los Angeles Dodgers to a team that is struggling mightily. Uh, The Detroit Pistons are on uh, one of the biggest losing streaks in NBA history right now. Our colleague Brendan Coffey uh, took a look at this, not from the team perspective, but from the ownership perspective. The team, of course, owned by 
by Tom Gores, uh, who is a very, very notable investor on in, in the Wall Street uh, side of things. What should we take away from from thinking about the the Pistons, not from the way they're they're struggling on the court, but from what it means for for Tom Gores and the rest of his business assets? That this stuff's hard, man. <laughs> <laughs> pro sports is hard. That the takeaway is pro sports is hard, and everybody thinks I'm really smart. I've been successful in this. I can just transfer what I've done in, in you know pool A and bring it to the team pool B, and I'll have great success. And that is just not the case. It's not the way to go. Um, but again, I, you don't. I, I in doing this story, it was just a reminder. Guys, you know, yes, this is one investment, a high-profile investment when you get a sports team and the team stinks. The valuation of the team is still going up. That's fine. But the team is terrible. There, did you see the chance, by the way, with the, what the fans no, were yelling during the game that. last night? That we have reached the point of the sell oh, the team chant. Rough. Exactly. So we've got the sell the team chant going on there. Did they but, kick those people you know, out like Jim Dolan does at Knicks games? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Facial recognition software, if you were chanting, you're out. Um, but, but we just wanted to take a look at, hey, this, this lack of success in an entity attached to Tom Gores, is it the same on the Platinum Equity, uh, private equity side? And the uh, answer is no. <laughs> that most of his funds, I believe it was five of six, are doing extremely well. One was sort of like right at break even. Um, but his returns have been great. One of the biggest private equity um, funds uh, out there. So do not cry for Tom Gores too much. Uh, from the basketball perspective, probably not having all that much fun. But on the core business, the private equity side, he's doing all right. Yeah, I think that there's a there's a whole list of owners I, that I would put in in a similar bucket from 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 Steve Cohen at the Mets to Todd Bowley in 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 Chelsea. Um, this is hard. It's a it's a different David Tepper in 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 Carolina in the NFL. Um, and I think the NFL is hardest because there's the hard cap. Like the NFL, you got to figure out a better way. You bet. You bet. You have to build a better mousetrap. You have to. You have to tra- draft better. You have to trade better. You have to be smarter in the NFL to win. And the Patriot way was a real yep. thing. They understood the value of lower round draft picks, not using utilizing skill position up high. They got there first. They they took players from other sports. Uh, you know that was the, that to me was the most genius thing of Bill Belichick. He understood. You know what that lacrosse player, his skill set translates to football. I don't care. He didn't play football. I can win with that guy doing just do your job. That, that permeated the organization. That is a big reason why they were better. And everybody's, you know, catching up. People, you know, they learn. They don't just sit still. They, they learn. But the other sports where there's no sound, like baseball, like you mentioned, yeah. if somebody's going to way outspend you, and they are, it's going to be more yeah, difficult. European soccer, obviously, the, the same way with Chelsea. That there's there's more ability to spend your way out of the troubles than there is in in the NFL, without question. All right, Eben, over your potluck, what we were, we were thinking about discussing Oliver Harmon investing in the Islanders, Carlisle backing the Sounders bid for the rain, PGA, where do you want to go? Well, let's talk PGA because there's, um, and, and there may be news in between us recording this and, and it airing, but we, yeah. are, we are coming up on, at the end of the year, a, a deadline in, in quotes for the PGA to figure out uh, the, the, the structure of its merger, proposed commercial merger with, with the European Tour and with Live Golf. On the side, the PGA is is talking with a group uh, packed with uh, notable sports team owners about a potential investment in just the PGA's commercial rights. I get the sense, Scott, that that is further along. There may be news on that first, and then maybe the PGA turns to to live uh, to, and, and tries to figure out what the Saudi-backed bigger merger 
looks like. My read on this, Scott, is 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 the this is just a leverage play now for 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 the PGA that that if they can bring on money for, from this group, they are at least in some ways starting to level the financial imbalance that they came to the table with with, with obviously with PIF and the and the Saudis having hundreds of billions of dollars uh, in, in available capital. Um, but I'm really curious to see that the, the future of professional golf. I think you can make an argument kind of hangs in the balance in the next two or three weeks. Um, yes, and how I want to be polite because, you know, I, I, I like you a lot. You're very smart. Um, but this in no way, shape, or form uh, it balances anything. It's, I, you, I, I did not say balances. I said worth, closer to balancing. Uh, uh, well, yeah, by definition, it would. if you have a million-mile difference and you take one step in a direction, by definition, you have closed the distance. But that's what we're talking about here. You have taken one step in a million mile gap. And I know a long journey begins with the first step, you know, uh, but uh, I don't see the PGA having leverage. Let's say they solidify a deal with the Fenway group, bringing on all these other sports team owners. Um, You got a group with what Jeff Bezos is half brother. Um, I still don't see any leverage where they keep if they continue to lose top players like John Rahm. If the top, how many are left? Like, how many have, are left in the top seven? I, I'm not, I'm not sure. If they continue to lose, and I know people don't come with the argument. Nobody watches live. It doesn't matter at this point. It doesn't matter. This is not a profit play for the well, South. Well, it, it just, it simply. I'll, isn't. I'll push back on the financial thing for a second. I, I don't think the PGA needs needs to come to the table with live money. I just think they need to come to the table. It's helpful for them to come to the table showing that they have access to to a lot of capital, right? I, I don't think if the PGA decides to 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 strike out on its own to to forego the big commercial merger, I don't think they need to have stores that are equal to what Live has. I just think they ha- need to have more money. They need to compensate their 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 athletes higher, right, to keep people like John Rahm from leaving. I think they just need to be able to demonstrate that there is a pool of money. It's not equal to PIF's money, of course, but that there is a pool of very smart, connected money. Enough to money, keep the players happy. Enough to keep the money, players happy. Um, so, yeah, I, I agree. It's obviously not going to right. level the financial playing field, but I, I, don't, I don't think they need to level it. I just think they right. need to make it clear that they have access to that if they want to go their own way. I'm going to give it. I'm going to give the scales here. And I, here's the video. My hand to the right goes proactive my hand to the left says reactive yep. once again this entire episode from the from the pga st- uh, side of things screams of reactive and and, and let's That's not the, the alarm bells were going off i'll say and let's not forget that one of the one of the huge motivators maybe the most important motivator for for announcing this commercial merger back in in june i believe it was was that it it essentially put a pause on all of the very expensive lawsuits that were ongoing between the pga and litigation if the pga decides to go out on its own again uh, a lot of those according to our colleague mike mccann a lot of those lawsuits may just kick back in so um it it, not just to compensate players but just to continue the legal fight uh, is going to require a lot of money if the pga decides to go that way as well so 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 there's a there's a bunch of different areas in which the pga may need a lot of money if this if this saudi relationship does not uh, does not happen there are myriad reasons to follow read touch sportico at this juncture of where things are in the world of sport and sport business mike mccann is right at the top of the list <laughs> uh, uh, just he is so good and i'm glad you and i had found him early on just as sort of fans remember what i used to say somebody would ask me what do you think of this and i would say you know what i'd say 
I'll let you know after Mike McCann tells me what I'm supposed yeah. to think. Like I needed Mike to distill it for me. His not only does he have the institutional knowledge and the legal knowledge, that's obviously baseline. You have to have that. Mike has the ability to crystallize these very complicated legal arguments into Scott and Ebony's, where you and I can read it and go, oh, I get it. Okay, no problem. That I got. I digest it simply. Now I can make an informed decision because I really feel like I enjoy it all. So thank you, Mike McCann. Just thankful to have him on our side. What are you doing for the holidays before we go, Scott? Nothing. What is, we, we, we got some family coming over here. My, my wife has some friends coming over. I've got, I've got the delicate glass that I'm not supposed to touch. You know, that's all near me. She's, she's, she's doing the true. She's, what? she's like, what? I'm not supposed to touch this stuff. She's over here to my right. We had the middle layer of the tree lights blow out the other day. So, you know, the emergency surgery on, on the tree. Got to get the mid-level lights. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm clearing out when I'm supposed to clear out. And I'm carrying and, and doing what, what I'm told to carry and do. That's what I'm doing. And you? Good stuff. Uh, I'm going to be down on the Jersey Shore with my parents for a few days and then back up in New York uh, after, the, uh, after the holidays. Um, so, yeah, I hope you have, uh, hope you have a good I, one, my friend. I need a, I need a Nita Novi I will, story. I will come back. I need one Nita Novi story coming out of this family business. My will deliver something that I will come back with. Um, <laughs> we will talk on the, uh, on the other end, Scott. I hope everyone, all of our listeners have a good holidays. I hope you have a good holidays. You can follow Scott on Twitter at Soshnik. You can follow me on Twitter at Novi underscore Williams. The Sportacast is produced by Aaron Greenewald. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays to Aaron. Uh, and Sportico's digital media editor, Cora Veltman, would like you to know that you can follow the show at Sportacast, which is the hub of the Sportico Media Network.